Amen. Hey, can we just, can we just give it up one more time for these, uh, for these baptisms? This was amazing. There we go. Um, it's in the middle of COVID, in the middle of all of this mess, God is still working, God is still moving. And, and so that's incredible to celebrate this morning. Well, good morning. Once again, my name is, is Jason Polk, my wife, Rachel. We've got a four-year-old, he turned four on Friday, uh, Preston, and he's here. And so we're just excited to be with you guys. But, but first off, let me just say um, uh, thank you to Pastor Mercer. Thank you to Cross Life. Um, I could sit and just not preach today, but Tim said I have to preach. And so I could sit here all day and just thank you so much for, for all that Christ across life has meant to us and all that you guys are doing for us. You know, it's easy for me to say this, and this might not make sense to you, but we would not be able to do what we're doing without Cross Life, without your support, without your prayers. We literally could not do what we're doing without your support. And, and, and I'll say this, and, and they're not paying me to say this, but because of your faithfulness to specifically give and these offerings, and I don't know the details of all the offerings or just the general offering, but, but because of your faithfulness to give, you are sending the gospel all over the world. You're sending the gospel in places like LA where, where it's expensive and it's hard and, and there's a lot of opposition. And, and because of your faithfulness to give and to pray um, and even to go, you are changing the world. Continue to be faithful to give. Continue to sacrifice. Um, and, and God is gonna continue to move in this church. And so I'm just so glad to be preaching here because I'm so thankful for, for you and all that God is doing here. So you saw the video that, that was earlier, but we're in the middle of a series. We launched a few weeks ago and we're so excited. And we're, we're in the middle of a series called uh, Sunday is My Favorite. Sunday, so I thought I'd title the sermon this morning, Sunday is My Favorite. Sunday really is my favorite. Anybody here today that Sunday is your favorite? Anybody today? So I guess, okay, a few people, everybody else are Monday people, I guess, right? Uh, nobody likes a Monday person, okay? So, um, so Sunday is my favorite. It, it really is. You know, I can remember my dad was a, a pastor, was a church planner himself, a local missionary. And really as early as I can, I remember crawling underneath the pews, climbing on top of the pews so that I could see and sing during worship. I was too young to take communion. And so at the very end of the service, my brother and I would sneak to the back of the, to the church and, and, and eat all of the leftover uh, ju juice and crackers. Anybody else? No, nobody else. And so I can remember growing up in kids ministry. I, I can remember pointlessly chasing after girls and wrestling with guys in the youth group. I, I can remember uh, graduating and going off to college and dragging my roommates to church with me. And I remember starting a family and, and how church was always a non-negotiable for us, the church. But it goes, uh, it goes a little deeper than that for us. It, it goes a little deeper. It means a little more my wife and I, about five years ago, after serving in ministry for about 10 years in Nashville, Tennessee, we felt like God was stirring in our hearts to do something, you know? And so we went to this conference. We felt like God was calling us to the mission field. My sister is a missionary and her family in West Africa. So God, are you calling us to the mission field? Are you calling us to go here or do this? And, 
And, and I, we remember going to this conference and at this conference, we heard stats like this. Of the 350,000 evangelical churches in the nation, four out of every five are either plateaued or they're declining. We heard stats like 200 million unchurched people in America, making America the fourth largest unchurched nation in the world. And, and God said to us very clearly that day, he's going to use us. He said, Rachel and Jason, I'm going to use you, but I'm going to do it through the church, through the church. And we knew that day that God was calling us, five years ago, that, that God was calling us to plant and to start a church. God started to shift our focus to Los Angeles. We fell in love with the, with the people there, but we started to see this stark disparity between the numbers of, of churches and people there. For, for example, in, in Anaheim, where we're currently planted, in Anaheim, California, if you put a 10-mile radius around our, our area that we're, that we're serving right now. 10 mile radius. It's about a 15 minute drive radius. 2.1 million person radius. One English speaking Southern Baptist church. Isn't that crazy? And so this broke our hearts and we knew that God was calling us there. So for the last three years, we've been developing a strategy, raising support, building a team, to go with us. And last year, while speaking here, like Tim said, the Kelly family, Katie and Garth and their three kids, decided to pack up everything, leave everything behind, um, leave families and house and, and jobs and, and friends to go with us to start a church. And, and I'm very excited, like I said, to announce that three weeks ago, we officially launched a church, Echo Church. But, but why? Come on, praise God. In fact, 19 others, so 21 total adults, 30 with kids and all, left everything to start this church. But, but my question is why? Like why? Why would my wife and I, five years ago, feel like God was compelled us to, to leave everything. We were so comfortable and life was so good in Nashville for us. Why would God call us to do this? Why would God call these 21 other adults to leave everything, to, to quit jobs, get brand new jobs, live in a place that was way more expensive than where they previously were? Why would God call us to do this? Why would we do this? It's because we love the church and can't imagine people living somewhere else without it. Let me say that again. Because we love the church and can't imagine people living somewhere without it, without what we have experienced, without the life-changing power of the church in our lives, knowing that we, we can't do this without the church. We couldn't imagine people living without it. So when I say the church, what comes to mind? What comes to mind? Maybe for some of you, it's, it's positive feelings. Maybe it's negative feelings. Maybe you've been disgruntled or hurt by the church. Maybe for some of you, you see a building. Maybe some of you, you see a, a people. The, the reality is that we all have different experiences that are all wrapped up into this word, church. So today we're gonna spend some time in 1 Timothy. You can go ahead and turn there now, chapter three. And we're gonna be looking at some of the images of what it looks like to be a church. And this book is, 1 Timothy is a letter 
by Paul written to a guy named Timothy, a young pastor who's trying to plant a church, who's trying to start a church. And, and, and this, this book is some foundational help of what a church should look like. And, and we're gonna be in verses 14 through 15 and really, this is the heart. This is the theme of the entire book. And so it's honestly like skipping the meal and, and going straight to the dessert. So that's what we're going to do this morning. And, and so if you have uh, that verse with you, starting verse 14, it says this, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you. This is Paul speaking to Timothy so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of truth. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we, we love you. Today we come and we, and we bring our attention, we bring our faithfulness to you, Lord, to, to listen and to know, not just to hear the words that are spoken, not just to sing songs, but Lord, to, to leave this place changed, to leave this place moved by the power of the Holy Spirit working through the word of God. Lord, would you speak to us today? Would you move in this place? As we're sitting here, each individual sitting in this room and online right now, Lord, would you in this moment help us to continue worship you as we open up the word and would you change our lives and call us to move, call us to change, call us to go and do what you're asking us to do. Lord, we love you and we need you and all God's people said, Amen. So there are three phrases in this passage that are very important. It kind of wraps up what, what it looks like to be the church. And so we're going to dial into these phrases. Um, and, and so I hope today to either remind you, right, to remind you or to show you for the first time why the church is so important and why the church is such a beautiful thing. And I hope you leave here today more in love with Jesus. Amen. But also more in love with his church. So today we'll see these three phrases. First of all, that we have a family, that we have the presence of God and we have the truth. So first of all, we have a family. We have a family. So the first phrase Paul uses to describe the church is the household of God. Now, many of you heard this phrase, the household of God or the house of God growing up. And if you're anything like me, if you grew up in the church um, as, a, as, you know, um, as a young boy running through the halls of the church, I would like get stopped and smacked in the back of the head and said, boy, stop running in the house of God. This is a house of God. Or I'd come in with a hat on and, or maybe a hat on backwards or something. And, and, you know, and, and someone you know, would smack the, the hat off my head and say, boy, this is the house of God what are you doing? Are you crazy, right? This is the house of God. But, but this phrase, the household of God, is, is less uh, about the reverence, right? And much more about the relationship. It's less about reverence and more about relationship. The Greek word oikos refers to both a physical building, but it's more about the family that lives in that building. Does that make sense? So when we, we do the same thing. If you were to drive by uh, my wife and I's apartment in Anaheim, you drive by and you say, hey, that's the Polks. They're the Polks. You wouldn't be thinking really of the apartment or the building or the house. What would you be thinking of? You would be thinking about our family, right? The, the family that lives in that building or in that house. So when Paul describes the church as the household of God, he is speaking about being a part 
of the family of God. He's not speaking about the house or the household. He's speaking about the family, the people. He's making a powerful and beautiful statement about the relational connection of God's people, about us. And the the cool thing about the church being family is that we all come from different backgrounds, from different ethnicities, from different situations, from different cultures, and, and don't always look like family. And yet... We share life-changing commonalities that God is our father, that we are brothers and sisters, that we have a common confession that, that Jesus came into this world, lived a perfect life, died a horrible death, was raised three days later and did all of this, right? To give us hope in this world and eternal life in the next. And so we have this common confession and that we are family, even though we look different, we are the same and we have the same confession that the gospel has changed our life. We are family. Eugene Peterson talks about this family like this. And I love this quote. He says, there can be no maturity in the spiritual life, no obedience in following Jesus, no wholeness in the Christian life apart from an immersion in and embrace of community, the church. And then he says this, and I love this. Let this sink in. I am not myself by myself. I am not myself by myself. Do you believe that? Do you believe that here today as you walk in as an individual today? Do you believe, hey, I am not myself without this family that is surrounding me. I am not myself as a believer in Christ. Not only would I saved, I was reconciled and redeemed to God, but I was also reconciled with his people. So when we are changed and our lives are changed, we are not only redeemed to God, but we are redeemed to the family of God. We are family. I am not myself by myself. Our love for Jesus eclipses all differences. We are family. Ephesians 6 says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Do you know what that means? That's other humans. That's other people. That's other family. But against the rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He's saying our battle is not with one another. Paul is saying, hey, listen up, church. This life is hard. Crisis is hard. Sickness happens. Sin happens. We're going to let each other down. We're all flawed, right? We all have different opinions on politics. We all have different opinions on, on, on this pandemic and whether the toilet paper goes over or under. Over, amen? Over, right? Amen? Okay, so we all have different opinions, right? But the battle, you've got to remember, is not between each other. We're on the same team. We have have the same mission. We are family. Come on. Amen. Right? We are the family of God. Do you view this place as the family? Do you love this church like the family? Do you sacrifice for one another in this place like family? We are the family of God. The next phrase is, we have the presence of God. We are family and we have the presence of God. This is rich. God adds, or Paul adds to this description. He says, which is the church, says of the living God, the church of the living God. So we're gonna break this down into two different kind of phrases here. The church and the, the living God. He says, the living God. Remember in this moment, in this season, in this time, the Roman world was filled 
with all different kinds of idols. In, in Acts 17, when Paul was in Athens, it says he was crushed in his spirit because the city was full of idols. And do you remember when he addressed the Athenians at the Mount of Areopagus and he was talking to all the, the academics and the philosophers and he was sharing his faith with all of these people. It, 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 he mentioned and referenced the idol dedicated to, you remember, the unknown God. And it was a clear indication of the cultural obsession of idols. They were obsessed and controlled with idol worship, with their idols, uh, with their worship of other idols, of other little g gods, right? And so when Paul is saying living, it's not just God. When he says living, he is taking a shot. He is taking a blow at their idols, their lifeless idols, their little g gods that the people of Ephesus worship. It could be translated like this. Your idols are dead. Our God is alive. Alive. You worship something fake, our God is real. Paul is courageously making a statement about the power and authority and reality of the living God. In, in other words, Paul is saying, this is real. This is real. But, but that's not all. He also combines this, the living God and the living God's relationship with the church, okay? His movement and his act, he's being active in the church. The Greek word ekklesia means called out. And some of you guys know this and have heard this phrase and the meaning, it means called out. The idea is a gathering or a group of people called out of this world to serve and worship God. Not, not called to leave this world, but called out into a relationship with God and God's people. You're called out, not just in a relationship, like I said, with, with God, but God's people. The church is the gathering of God's people in the presence of the living God. And this idea of God meeting with his people living and walking and being with his people is a theme that stretches out through the entire meta narrative of scripture. I mean, let's walk with this together. Genesis chapter three, it says, God walks through the garden in the cool of the day. Exodus 19, God meets with his people at Mount Sinai. Exodus 40, the glory of the Lord fills the temple. Deuteronomy 6, the Lord lives among you, Isaiah 7, the promise was given that a child would be born and would be called Emmanuel, God, help me out, God with us, right? John 1, 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. 1 Corinthians 6 says your body is the temple or the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And in Revelation 21, the last chapter of the Bible, John concludes this entire book by telling us, by telling us what is to come. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. 
And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. Come on. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All of these things will be gone forever. The church is a place where a group of people gather to experience the presence of the living God, right? The whole narrative of scripture paints this from the beginning until now. God is here with us today. I love the phrase and I hear it often. Man, God really showed up today. I love that phrase. God really showed up today. I had an experience with God today. Guess what? That's true. That's true. God has shown up. God is here. You can experience him today. And God has a personal word for you today. The reason the church is so important is that we serve a living God who is actively pursuing us in the gathering of other believers. We have a family and we serve and worship a living father, a living God a living savior. And then lastly, we have the truth. We have the truth. The third phrase is less of an identity statement like the first two and more of of an application, a challenge or a charge for us, right? So Paul says that the church is, says a pillar and buttress of truth. What does he mean by that? What does he mean by a pillar and a buttress? and, And what does he mean by truth? What is the truth? Well, if you don't hear anything else today, hear this. The truth is that we have good news. Did you know that? We have good news. It's, it's because we have a solution to the biggest problem that humans had, according to have, according to scripture in Romans, we have messed up, we have sinned against God. And because we have sinned and messed up uh, uh, and, and sinned against the creator of the universe, we deserve eternal punishment. When we die, the good news is that God still loves us and he sent his son into this world to give us a way out of punishment and into a relationship with him. Jesus, who is fully God, fully man, came into this world, lived a perfect and sinless night life, um, performed many miracles, healed the sick. He was killed on a cross, literally raised three days later with hundreds of eyewitnesses. And he did all of this for the glory of his father. Father and for his love for you and I. But, but it's not just about believing these truths. It's about following these truths and this person. This is the good news, the gospel, the truth. Uh, and the truth is also simply just the message that God has delivered from the word of God to us. Uh, truth about who God is, who we are, who we are not, what is right, what is wrong, why do we exist, how do we actually have and live in a relationship with God? It's these truths. So the church is the instrument of God's life-changing, hope-bringing, devil and sin-whipping truth. But it says that the church is to be a pillar and a buttress, what in the world is he talking about? What is a pillar and a buttress of truth? Well, think about the role of a pillar. The purpose of a pillar is not just to hold up a roof. 
It's not just to hold up a roof of a building, but if you, if you think about the you know, uh, uh, capital buildings and, and even in the church and other places, and especially in Ephesus in this moment, there's pillars everywhere. And it's not just practically to hold up a building, but it's to lift the building up so that it can speak to the world around it, to magnify it, to celebrate the building, to make it seen or noticed. And the buttress is a foundation. It's the footing, it's the support. The point is that the foundation provides the support and stability for the building that it holds. And so over time and through the testing of the weather that may come, the building will remain steadfast and standing only if the base, the support, the ground is strong and is not compromised. And so here's the application. First is the foundation. The church is to hold to the truth firmly so that it does not collapse under the weight of false teaching or a world that is trying to manipulate to change this truth for us. We are to stand firm, church, in this truth. Praise God for your pastor in this church that stands firm in the truth and will not compromise. The truth and the church is to be a foundation of this truth. And second, as a pillar, we are to boldly display the beauty and the majesty of this truth. During the beginning of quarantine, we were in Zoom church. Were you guys in Zoom church? And we, we went to online eventually. Anybody, maybe in small groups or something like that, you were in Zoom church or Zoom groups or whatever like that. We we're in Zoom church. I stinking hated Zoom church. And here's the reason, probably because I'm a words of affirmation type of guy. So by the way, keep the amens coming. I love the amens. And, and so like, I'm a words of affirmation. Come on, let's go. I'm a words of affirmation guy. And I hated Zoom church because you couldn't hear the people on the other side of the screen because they were muted, right? I hated it. So I didn't know if God was moving, if he wasn't moving, if the word was taking root in their lives. And so finally, I was like, okay, I'm done with this. We got to do something different. I said, okay, guys, we're going to, if God is speaking, if God is moving, if you hear something that stirs within your heart, I need to raise the roof. Everybody give me a raise the roof this morning. Everybody, there's some bash. Okay, here we go. Raise the roof. So every time God was speaking, I would just see all across the screen, people raising the roof, raising in the roof. Amen. God is good. This truth is good. It is good news to those who are far away from God. Watch this. The church is literally raising the roof. We are lifting up and magnifying and praising God for the world to see. Can I get an amen this morning? Can I get a raise the roof this morning, right? The church is not just a small part of God's plan. The church is God's plan. The church is God's vehicle through which the world will come to understand and know the life-changing message that Jesus Christ saves. We are that pillar. We are that buttress. We are lifting up and magnifying and celebrating the truth of God's word that so people outside of this building will know and come to understand the life-changing power of Jesus and might too come to understand and their lives would be changed forever. We are a buttress. We are a pillar of truth. Cross Life Church, when you think about the church, think about it as family. 
Be confident that you can come and will experience the presence of the living God. Whether you're here, whether you're watching online, you can and will experience the power of the living God. And may this church be a place where the truth of God is the foundation and you will do everything that you can do to proclaim and celebrate and lift up that truth for the world to see. So, so I wanna give an invitation today. I wanna give a couple of different invitations today. First of all, will you commit, Cross Life Church, will you commit today of making this place home, making this place family, but will you commit to doing everything that you can to serve and love and support and give and sacrifice so that God can change hearts through the power of the gospel. I said it before, I'll say it again, this is important. We could not do what we are doing without this church being a pillar, this church being a foundation of truth sacrificing, giving, loving, serving so that people all over the world can experience the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. Cross life, will you be that church? The invitation for you today is that you would respond in that way. And, and, and then secondly, and, and, and more importantly, I wanna invite those here today who don't quite know if they've ever made a decision to follow Christ. You've heard the gospel in this message. You hear it every week from this stage, the, the, the power of the gospel, that it can change your life. And you may have been away for years and you've back for, for a little while. You know plenty about God, but you don't know God. You don't have an active relationship with him. The invitation to you today is to not walk out of those doors today until you have made it right, till you have said yes to Jesus today. You don't have to come perfect. You don't have to have it all figured out. You have to be willing to change. You have to be willing to say yes to Jesus today. So whether today you are saying yes to commit your life into this body and to this family and to this church, or whether you're saying yes to, to Jesus for the first time, whether it's for the hundredth time or the first time today, would you commit, would you respond as we stand in a moment in worship, would you respond to him and say yes to Jesus today? Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you so much for this church we thank you so much for the power of God working in and through this church. This, this is not a dead church, that, that we don't worship a dead Savior, but we have a living hope, a living Savior who is active and working through those who are faithful to say yes. So Lord, I pray, would you allow us to say yes today? Whether it's the first time or the hundredth time, Lord, please, in our worship, in our devotion, in our singing, in our worship, Lord, would you allow us right now to commit, to respond, to say yes to you today. Jesus, we say yes to you. It's in all God's people, all God's, um, it's in uh, God's name that we pray and all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.